Thank you, everybody. How's everybody doing this fine Sunday morning? This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it, as, as the scripture says. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church this morning. Special welcome also to anybody who's listening to us on our podcast uh, through iTunes or even on our website. If you're listening to us, uh, you're also welcome to come and worship with us here in Flossmoor if you're local. Have you ever been sick? It almost seems like a silly question to ask here in the, the heart of February. The heart of the, the winter months was very, very cold. But the odds are, if you're more than a few days old, you've been sick in some way. If you're like me, you only get sick about once a year. For me, I just get sick about once a year. I mean, in a way that really kind of takes me out of the game. I guess I'm thankful for that because I know people who are literally sick every month with various allergies and things like that. So I'm very grateful for that. That's not a complaint. It's just how it is. And usually I get really sick. It's usually like a heavy flu or something like that. And what I've tried to do unsuccessfully is to just kind of man through it and ignore it. You'd think I would abandon that approach because it never works. Being sick for me is such a departure from what's normal that it usually takes me out of the game for a while and having two kids who are adorable, but they're some of the germiest kids and their noses are always running. I'm sure I'm picking something up from them along the way. But I know when I'm sick because I'm very in touch with what's normal for me or what's normal for my human body. I know exactly when I get sick because I start to get sluggish. Things that I used to do with relative ease become very difficult for me. Things that are norm- normal for me to do suddenly become uh, very laborious and sometimes, some, often becomes very difficult to do. So I'm, I'm touched with what sickness looks like for me because I'm, uh, most of the time I'm doing very well. Does that make sense? And it's a general departure from what's normal for, for, for myself or those around me. I know what wellness looks like. And in the world we live in, typically, sickness is merely defined by what's wrong with us or what's broken with us in a physical or, uh, or a mental sense. We consider ourselves sick when our bodies ail, when there's cancer, when we have the cold or flu or some other ailment that's out of the, out of the ordinary, or when there's some type of thing going on in our mind that we need to be, have, have diagnosed clinically. That's how the world views things. But from the Christian worldview, the way God sees it, Sickness is anything that's a departure from how God intended our bodies to be. Sickness is anything, any condition that takes you away from how God intended this body to be. How many of you know that when God created us, his plan for us, that we would be completely whole and completely healed? In other words, that means nothing broken and nothing missing. When I seek the Lord for what wellness looks like in my life, I said, Lord, would you provide me with a lifestyle that, is, that has nothing broken in my life and nothing missing? That's what wellness, that's what wholeness looks like. That's God's plan for us. Now, ever since the fall of man, when darkness and sin entered the world, we've departed from that. Sin has entered the picture. So sickness and death and, and, and infirmity has entered the world. And because of that, we are in need of healing. Because of that departure from wellness and that departure from wholeness due to the sin of man, we are in need of healing. The good news is that we're acquainted with a Savior whose nickname is the Great Physician. Jesus is the Great Physician, and he specializes in all things. 
If you've ever been to an eye doctor after your eye appointment, you can't say, hey, doc, while you're at, while you're at it, I've been having some inner ear issues. Why don't you get out your scope and take a look at that as well? What, what's that doctor going to tell you? I don't do that, right? You go to the dentist. He's got done working on your teeth. You say, listen, man, I got these corns or these bunions on my feet. Can you kick my shoe off and take a look at my feet? He's especially going to say, he might back away from you a few feet. He said, I don't do that. But Jesus, the great physician, specializes in everything that we need. My mom used to sing a song called God Specializes. I won't do it injustice by singing it this morning, but it's very true. God specializes in what we need. God specializes in every single area of brokenness that we could possibly have. We're continuing a series this morning that I've been calling Jesus Meets Us Where We Are. And last week I talked about the fact that we're all on a path to somewhere. I really like this picture because it really is the epitome of a path, of a road. And last week I said that we're all on a path to someplace. I've also mentioned that oftentimes I've found that most people are not on a path toward Jesus. Many people are on a, on a path to noble things, like building a family, building a career, all sorts of noble things. But many people are simply not on a path to Jesus. Despite of that fact, and because of that fact, Jesus sees fit to come to where we are, and he meets us where we are. I used to think that I'm such a smart guy, and I'm so with it enough to choose Jesus and to pursue him and do the hard work of leaning into him, only to discover that Jesus found me. Jesus found me. Jesus says in the scriptures and the gospels that he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And nobody can come to the Father except through him. The scriptures also tell us that nobody can even approach God unless this, nobody can even come to Jesus or be embraced by Jesus unless the Spirit first draws them. The scriptures also say that Jesus came into this earth to do what? To seek and to save the lost. When I consider all those things that are at play, that have a, a, a fundamental play a fundamental role in my salvation, it takes all the Geno out of it. I have no reason to boast. I have no reason to be prideful. The Spirit drew me in. Jesus was the doorway, and he came looking for me even when I thought that I was doing okay. All this to say that Jesus comes looking after us, looking for us. He comes searching for us, and he meets us exactly where we are. Last week, we looked at the story of the woman at the well, the sinful woman at the well, and Jesus went and pursued this woman. This week, we'll look at the story of the healing by the poolside, specifically the pool of Bethesda. If you need a title for this week, the healing at the pool is what we're going to call this. We're going to look at John chapter 5, and we're going to look at this powerful illustration of how Jesus comes after us, particularly those who are sick, and he meets us exactly where we are. I'm going to um, look in John chapter 5, but before I get into this this morning, let me just pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much that you came looking for me. Despite how good I thought I was and how together I thought I was, Lord, when I encountered your word, your truth, I discovered that I was a royal mess. And God, I thank you so much that you meet us where we are. I thank you so much, Lord, that whatever defines our sickness or whatever defines our ailments, Lord, you still come to where we are and you heal us and you change us, and you transform us. So, Lord, as we open your word today, would you, um, would you open the scriptures to us? Would you move me out of the way this morning, Lord, that your word and your truth might shine through? Would you put power on these words that you've given me to uh, speak this morning? We ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So we're looking at the opening verses of John chapter 15. I'm starting at verse 1. Their Bibles, by the way, on the edges of the rows will also be projecting the words on the screens in front of you. Verse 1 says, Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and he knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Verse 7 says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began to walk. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But, but he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. I really love this story. I really think this is a great story. I think it's a fascinating story. And I think in order to really understand this story, we have to understand what's going on with this pool. I don't think that's necessarily obvious in the story. And it's one of the keys to understanding what was going on in the story. So I'll basically explain. Basically, the pool of Bethesda, where all of these people were, all these sick people were crowded around the pool, basically there was something interesting about this pool in that every now and then, an angel would come and stir or trouble the waters. And immediately following that, whichever sick person jumped in that pool, for whatever reason, they got healing. So imagine the word spreading about this pool that is ever so often troubled by an angel, and it has healing power. So all of these people are crowded around, waiting on their opportunity to be the first one into this pool after the angel troubles the water. So with that understanding, let's jog through this passage and see how Jesus goes to work and what Jesus does, and particularly how he meets us where we are, particularly those of us who are sick. And we're talking about physical sickness. We're talking about emotional sickness. We're talking about relational sickness. And we're talking about the main type of sickness also, which is the hole that we have in our souls, the, the cavity that exists between us and the Lord. Let's see what Jesus does. The first thing I notice that Jesus does is Jesus engages the sick. Jesus engages the sick. And everything that we've been taught about illness and diseases teaches us to go in the opposite direction of sick people. Unless you're a physician, unless you make your living healing people or curing people or treating illness, we're wired to say, hey, you see somebody coughing, you see somebody sneezing, you just want to maybe take a step back. We're wired to do that. You do that instinctively because we have a fear of disease. We know disease and illness kind of, kind of, it's infectious. We don't want that. So we're wired to move in the opposite direction. And this isn't necessarily what Jesus does. Verse 1 says, after Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches, and one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Now understand something. What's going on right now is the Jewish festivals, these high holidays, 
But all of the Jews from all the surrounding places would come to Jerusalem, which was the center of religious activity in that region. They would come for these festivals. They would come for these high holy holidays. So imagine some of the most important Jews in the whole region are in town. Imagine after all of the religious celebrations, people are getting together, they're hanging out, there's all these parties going on, people are hobnobbing, and where does Jesus choose to go? Does he choose to go where the, the, the religious leaders are? Does he choose to go and eat hors d'oeuvres and, and sip a nice cup of something with all the important people in town? Absolutely not. Jesus goes to where the sick people are. He goes to where the hurting people are. It's probably smelly on those porches as those guys lay poolside. It's probably a despicable sight to see all of those sick and infirmed people looking pitiful, downcast, hoping for the angel to stir and hoping for a chance to get in the pool. It's probably a despicable sight to see. But Jesus doesn't choose to go and hobnob with celebrities and Leaders and important people, Jesus chooses to go and hang out with those that need him most. With the infirmed, with the needy. And when I come to face to face with the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus does, his tendencies, his leanings, I have to ask myself, where do I choose to hang out? Where do I choose to hang out? And you can ask yourself this question as well. Where do I choose to hang out? Because I'm humbled by this reality. I'm humbled by this Savior that I'm supposed to follow. I'm humbled by this Jesus that I'm supposed to pattern my life after. And I force myself to ask myself, where are you spending your time? When I was back in Urbana, which is where we moved from to plant this church, you know, at one point I was working for the church. I was always very, even when I wasn't working for the church, I was always heavily involved you know, playing in the worship band, you know, we were lay pastors in the young adult community. We were always, I mean, just so busy. And when we would survey uh, our, where we spent our time, we found that we were doing a lot of good, but we were spending virtually no time with unchurched people. We were spending all of our time with people who knew the Lord and people who were actively involved in our church. And that was just kind of the nature of the, the jobs that we had. And as we begin to plant this church and as we begin to go through the church planning assessments where they would assess our strengths and weaknesses, we, did, we, we learned that we had a real weakness or a, just a gaping hole in our resume with dealing with unchurched people. Here we are coming to this town to plant a church to deal with just that, the sick and the hurting. We had a mission statement that didn't necessarily want us gathering a bunch of church people. Rather, we wanted the unchurched so we can bring them to relationship with Jesus. But here we see that our schedule is full, chocked full with meetings and more meetings and gatherings and parties with church people. With the well, reasonably well. Fast forward to today. I'm very pleased, man, to say that the Lord has given me the opportunity to spend a great deal of time with people who don't know the Lord. It's not just happened that way. I've had to be very intentional about that. When I reflect on what we do on Wednesday nights here, some 35 guys come through that door right there every single week, and mostly all of those guys have no connection to faith whatsoever. Most of those guys do not go to church at all. Most of those guys don't even know the basic things about Scripture outside of what we teach them every single week. And I just get real excited about that. Since August, I've been spending a few moments each week, five to ten minutes, just sharing the gospel with these guys. 
And you know, I realized when I first started doing that that I wasn't very good at that. I'm, I, I, I'm comfortable preaching to people who know a little bit already. But when I consider, you know, I have to talk to people who know nothing about the faith, people who are, some are hostile to the gospel each and every week. You know what? I've grown quite comfortable with it. And every single week, I get to share the gospel with people who are lost, people who are laying beside this pool, people who have a hole in their soul, people who are far from Jesus. And very often, I get to meet with different ones that I meet throughout the community, not just trying to convince them to come to this church, although that's a goal of mine, but it's very important that I spend some time with sick people, that I step my legs outside of the doors of the church, outside of the doors of church people, and deal with the sick because this is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. And as I ask myself, where am I spending my time, I charge you to ask yourself, where are you spending your time? When you take an inventory of your schedule, of your calendar, you assess where you're spending your time, where you're comfortable spending your time, where you choose to spend your time, and who with, what comes up? What comes up? I'll leave you to ponder that. But Jesus goes on a mission, and his mission involves sick people. And once he gets there, he spots a guy who is in bad shape. And we can probably guess that this guy was probably in the worst shape. Here's a guy that's been sick for 38 years, lame, paralyzed, unable to move, unable to function, likely, you know, not being born that way, having some knowledge of what wellness and wholeness looks like. Here he is, sick for 38 years, and Jesus somehow makes his way to those who need him most. And when Jesus gets there, he does something very spectacular. He asks a very pointed question. Jesus asks a lot of questions. He goes after the answers. Scripture says one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and he knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Now, Jesus knew that this guy had been there for a while. He knew he was in bad shape probably because he was Jesus and in touch with the Holy Spirit, but it's very likely that this guy just looked really, really pitiful. Visible state of his situation was very obvious, and Jesus asked him a pointed question, would you like to get well? And sometimes Jesus sort of does this dance with words, and he sort of beats around the bush for effect or because he's going somewhere. But oftentimes, Jesus gets right to the point. He deals with the situation. He says, do you want to get well? Would you like to be well? And how many of you know this stuff doesn't really work unless you want it? It doesn't really take hold. It doesn't really have power unless you want it. This is a question that I've learned to ask early and often before I engage what appear to be sick people. Because I've discovered that some sick people simply do not want to be well. Either because their sickness affords them luxuries that they enjoy, or they haven't figured out that they're sick yet. Either way, Jesus models for us a very important question, and that is, would you even like to be well? Do you even want to be well? People all the time tell me, you know, you, you need to come and talk to my husband. He is a mess. The first question I ask him is, does your husband want to be talked to? You've got to come talk to my teenage boy. He is acting fool. Let's just slow down. First things first. Does your teenage boy want to be talked to? Is your teenage boy sick of his condition? 
Does he want something different? Does your husband, does your daughter, does your wife, does your friend, do they, do they, do they want healing? Do they want to do something different? Because I wasted a lot of time trying to help people who didn't want to be helped. I spent a lot of time trying to coach people who didn't want to be coached. You see what I'm saying? And frankly, I just don't have that type of time. And nor did Jesus. So he often sort of said things and did things in a way to see if people really wanted what he had to offer. Said to the rich young man, listen, you want to follow me? Awesome, bro. Go sell your stuff. Oh, you don't want to follow me. You don't. Always got a hoop for us to jump through, not to make this thing complicated, not to make it difficult, but just to see, listen, how bad do you want this? I was talking to uh, the guy that manages um, this property, and every now and then we're in the building at the same time. I just was talking to him, and just a few minutes of talking to this gentleman. He's a great guy, by the way. I realized that this guy is categorically sick in his life, his relationship with the Lord. So we talked for about an hour, and as he, uh, as he had to go, I said, listen, listen I'll, I'll just call him Joe. I said, listen, Joe, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, man. I'm going to pray for you. So he looked, he, he whipped around, and he said, listen, Pastor, you can pray for somebody who needs it. And I don't think he was trying to be smart. I don't think he was trying to be rude or anything. He just really did not understand that his condition was as dire as it was, which is why it's important to ask this question, which is why Jesus asked this question, do you want to be well? Now, the man could have answered any number of ways. He could have said, you know, Jesus, uh, I've been sick here, but this is a really good hustle for me. I make $70 in the morning, and I come, you know, I make another $70 in the afternoon. I really don't want to do anything else. So thanks, but no thanks. Right? This is what Jesus is trying to get. Do you want this? But the man's response is a very telling response that we see in verse 7. He responds. Jesus says, do you want to be well? He says, I can, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now, maybe this guy wasn't just paralyzed. Maybe he was hard of hearing as well. Because Jesus didn't ask him all that, did he? Jesus says, my man, are you, do you want to be well? Are you, sick of do, are you sick of this whole lame business? Are you sick of not being able to walk? Are you sick of not being able to earn a living? Are you sick of not being able to normally relate to your relatives and to your family and your friends? Are you sick of your present condition? What this man offers Jesus was something other than what he asked. And this, before we sort of, you know, turn our nose up at this gentleman, we do the same thing. The Jesus, Jesus comes knocking and said, listen, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed from that pornography addiction? Do you want to be healed of that clinical depression? Do you want to be healed of just your general poor attitude and meanness? You want to be healed of your anxiety? You want to be healed from that cancer? You want to be healed from that drug addiction? Or that substance abuse. And what do we say to Jesus? We say weird things like, Lord, you know, my, my whole family was this way. You know, my great-grandpappy and his great-grandpappy. This is came, I, got, I came by this honestly, Lord. Well, Lord, do you know what it would take for me to get over this thing? You know how hard I would have to, you know, work to not give myself to this? You know how much it would cost? You know how much the treatments cost for cancer? I don't have that type of money. My HMO won't cover that. And Jesus says, I didn't ask you all of that. I asked you if you were sick of how you are now. Are you tired 
of how your marriage is now? Are you tired of your body being racked with pain? Are you tired of all of your relationships ending shortly after they begin? Are you sick of that? Clearly, this gentleman doesn't get it. And he doesn't get it because he doesn't understand that he's talking to the God that specializes in every measure of brokenness, everything that we can possibly struggle with. He doesn't get that he's talking to Jesus. He thinks he's having a casual conversation with somebody who's just maybe a little interested in his predicament. How many of you know that 38 years can do a number on your hope? It can start to slice away at your hope. Here this guy is probably just a stone's throw away from the promise of healing that this pool offers each and every time that the angel comes down and troubles the water. Yet somebody pops in before him each and every time, time after time, multiple times a year for 38 years that probably that wears on you a little bit. The hope you had of your situation changing, the hope you had of being healed and being delivered and restored might start to fade after 38 years. And this is where this gentleman is. He's despaired. Rather than answering Jesus directly, he says, I can't. I can't. I can't. Jesus says, would you like to be well? Would you like to be well? I think it's important before I move on, in light of this gentleman's answer, to take a very necessary aside just for a minute just pursue a little bit of a rabbit trail. Jesus asked this guy, would you like to be well? And he replies, I can't. I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets in ahead of me. And I just have to ask myself when I consider this, where are all the people who've been healed? Where are the people who've, who've, who've climbed out of the pool free of their ailments? Where are the people who had to roll into the pool because they were so sick to walk into there or jump in there? Where did they go when they got out? Do you understand that it's our job, those of us who've been saved, those of us who've been redeemed, those of us who, who've, been re, who, who've been healed by the master, don't you understand that it's our job to hang around the pool? If everybody who got healed just stuck around long enough to throw somebody else in and then pass the torch to that person, or perhaps stuck around much longer, man, this guy wouldn't necessarily be in this predicament. And as I was motoring through this passage, I had to stop and say, Lord, why did none of those people come back and chuck this poor guy in the pool? Why does nobody say, you know, I remember what it was like the five years that I laid here. I remember what it was like getting stepped over each and every time I tried to make my way to the pool. If I could do something differently for somebody else, man, I want to try to do that. Why, why was nobody around why was this the man's complaint as he responded to Jesus? Why had nobody reached back? Why had nobody stuck around? And in my own life, I, I realized that there's areas that I've struggled, had great struggles in my own life. I remember what it was like to be bound to pornography. I remember what it was like to have this huge cavity between me and God and just the sort of depression and the loneliness that came with that and all of the other baggage, I remember what it was like. Each and everything that I've ever struggled with in my whole life, I remember what it was like. And do you know what? It pains me to see people struggling in general, but especially pains me to see people struggling with those things. 
And I promised the Lord that I would devote my life, whether I'm standing here preaching or I hold an office as a pastor, I promised the Lord that I will spend the rest of my life near the pool so I can throw somebody in because I remember when I was laying there. It ought to bother you to see people struggling. It ought to bother you. It ought to move you to action when you see people struggling, when you see people sick, whether it's physical or mental or emotional, especially spiritual, it ought to bother you. Jesus asked this man a pointed question. He gives a sordid answer. But Jesus clearly must hear it, yes, somewhere in this sordid answer that the man gives because Jesus proceeds to do what he does best. He heals. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Jesus heard a yes somewhere. Wasn't the answer that he was looking for. But clearly this man said, yes, I want to be healed. And it's hard and the master, something connected with that in Jesus. And Jesus healed this poor man. Jesus gave this man what he'd been laying there for, hoping for for 38 years. Jesus didn't just sort of roll him into the pool, you know, get it there. Jesus says, I uh, you know, I, I have the power and authority to, from my father to do this. You healed. And immediately this man picks up his mat and he begins walking away. Jesus does what he does best. He heals. And when Jesus came to earth, he came, he brought with him power and the glory of the kingdom of God. The message that Jesus preached is that the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here, and with it comes all the bounty, all the blessings, all the, the healing of the kingdom of God. Now, it's not fully here. It won't be fully realized until Jesus comes back. But what we saw is that this, what's breaking in is the kingdom of God. What Jesus brought with him was the kingdom of God. And what the kingdom does best is it fixes broken stuff. It sets to right things that have been broken, that have been corrupted, that have been corroded by sin and bad choices. And evil deeds and our own personal agendas. The kingdom sets those things to right again, and that's what Jesus brings with him. He does what he does best. He heals. Now, I won't spend too much time focusing on this, but I think it's, it's important for us to understand that there's always some opposition. Jesus always ran up against opposition. Now, you think that somebody was miraculously healed who'd been sick, and infirm for 38 years, you think, man, people will rejoice, especially religious leaders, especially church folks, especially people who claim to be the closest to God. It's surely they would be excited, but they weren't. And so we see the opposition. Verse 9, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but, his, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Uh-oh, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Verse 10, so the Jewish leaders, church folks, religious folks, sitting on the front row folks, they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. Now, it's not unlawful for this person to carry his sleeping mat. These are some extra things that these religious zealots had nothing else to do. So they wanted to add some extra things to the law. 
Don't carry anything. Listen, don't, 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 don't do, you can't do that. You can't do that. Forget the healing. And it's important to understand that some people have an agenda that opposes your healing and wellness. As crazy as that seems, as hateful as that seems, as backwards as that seems, some people have an agenda that opposes your healing. Some people liked you better when you were sick. Some people liked you better when you needed them. Somebody liked you better when you were laid out at the pool, when you were desperate, when you were disheveled. We don't spend too much time talking about that because this focus on this message is on Jesus. I just want to alarm you that there will be opposition from people in your life, from the kingdom of darkness, and so on and so forth. But they weren't excited about this. So Jesus heals this guy, miraculous healing, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Because like we said last week, Jesus has an uncanny way of dealing with the real issue. And since this interaction with this man is not over, we can only assume that the main issue has not been dealt with yet. Man, the healing is great. 38 years laying lame by a pool. And you can walk now? You can carry your mat. You can go do some stuff now. You can go hug your wife or go hug your mom or you go get a job now. Man, that's fantastic. Jesus says that's not the main thing. That's not the main thing. But what is the main thing? Let's continue. Verse 14. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. Stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. In other words, now that you are physically well, Now that we've got that little nagging lameness, that that paralysis out of the way, let's deal with a real issue. Let's deal with a real issue. And the real issue, as we pointed out last week with the woman at the well, was this, this guy's sinfulness. His sinfulness. And you're thinking, how much mischief could he have been up to laying poolside for 38 years? We ask that question because when we think sin, we think some dastardly deeds that's being done be in a dark room, you know, as we sit by candlelight and we laugh, this sort of ghoulish laugh. That's sin. Sin is having your own agenda. Sin is thinking that you can walk through your own life according to your own plans, according to your own strategies, completely divorcing yourself from what God has for you, unless perhaps you need him. Like, God is just the seasoning on your life that you sort of go to and you get a taste of when things seem a little bland. When all the other options have been exhausted. Sin is saying that I can do this on my own. And when you get to that place where you think that you can do it on your own, you feel like you can do what you want to do. Please seek pleasure. You seek to please yourself. There's a pride, there's an arrogance, there's a haughtiness that goes along with that. You don't need the Lord, and that's the essence of sin, thinking that you can do this life on your own, that you can dance to your own drum. And this is what sin is. This is what Jesus puts his finger on in this gentleman's life. This is the real issue that Jesus deals with. He says, now that you are well, now that you are healed physically, think not that that's the issue. Stop your sinning. Stop your sinning. Stop your sinning. And he doesn't just mention the sinning. He issues a strong warning. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. 
Why are we so scared to talk about sin in the church? Why are we so scared to talk about the thing that will disqualify us so easily? Why do we want to skip over the passages that deal with sin and brokenness, the thing that corrupts our relationship with the Lord, the thing that destroys our marriage, the things that robs us of, of, of all the blessing and all the beauty of this life? Why do we want to not talk about that stuff? That's like going to the doctor, you know, for your checkup, and he's just telling you everything's fine. You got all sorts of tumors hanging out. You know, intestines hanging out. Yeah, you just you look great to me. Jesus wants to put his finger on the real issue, and that is our sinfulness. You see, the healing just puts God's power on display. The healing just says, you know, I'm the real deal. Look no further, right? I'm the real deal. And oftentimes in the scriptures, when we saw people getting healed, people were all ears. Man, you healed my daughter? You cast these demons out? You spoke a word to me? You told me that I had five husbands? Nobody knew. I didn't tell you that. You're a stranger in this town. Now I'm listening to you because I understand that you're the real deal. Jesus just said, that's the appetizer. The healing is the appetizer. I want to deal with your soul. I want to deal with your guts. I want to bring you into fellowship with the Lord. And the only way to come to the Lord is to come through me. And the only way to come to me is with a pure heart. Now, I didn't require you, this is what Jesus is saying, I didn't require you to church up or to, to get yourself better before I engaged you. No, that's my job. But now that I'm here, if you want to do this dance with me, you want to live according to my, my, the, the way the kingdom operates, you've got to deal with the problem. And that problem is our sinfulness. The problem is our sinfulness. So what's the big picture here? The big picture is that Jesus came to this guy. And it's so important that Jesus came to this guy because this guy was absolutely incapable of going to find Jesus. Physically, and even when Jesus was standing in front of him, he didn't occur to him that he was speaking with the Messiah. He was completely unable to go to Jesus himself. And it's so important, it's so essential, it's so awesome that Jesus comes to us, that Jesus meets us where we are. And for many of us, if not all of us, this means that Jesus meets us squarely in the midst of our sickness and our infirmity, whatever that may be. And some of us are sick today physically in our bodies. Some of us are sick mentally or psychologically. Some of us have emotional sickness. Maybe you're clinically depressed and you can't shake it. Maybe there's something emotional going on that you can't even diagnose, that your physicians can't even diagnose. Maybe some of you are sick in your marriage this morning. There's something that's taken to begin to nest in your marriage is causing a divide between you and your spouse, between your marriage and the Lord. You're sick in your marriage. You're sick in your relationships and your friendships. Something is broken in your family, etc. But most importantly, Jesus not only meets us in those physical needs and that physical sickness, but he meets us at the place of spiritual sickness, of uh, spiritual brokenness, the lack of wholeness in our soul or the hole that we have in our soul. Some have said the God-shaped hole in our soul that only God can feel. We're so sick in our souls and so, we're so broken because we tried to put things there. We tried to put things there and nothing will fit. Nothing will satisfy. 
Only Jesus. Only Jesus. That's the big picture today, that Jesus meets us where we are. Some of you say, preacher, I feel fine today. I've never felt better physically. But I'm a mess in my relationship with Jesus. I've taken just such a casual approach to faith, such a casual approach to dealing with my issues, to dealing with my sinfulness, to dealing with my brokenness, and it is running me into the ground. Some of you say, you know, my relationship with God is great. It's never been better. But my body is just racked with pain. I have all of these issues. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. I need healing. I need something different. And wherever you are today, Jesus meets you there. He meets you there. And he meets, not only meets you there, but he asks you a question today. Do you want to be well? For those of you who are sick in your soul, sick in your relationship with God, do you want to be different? Do you want to do the hard work that it takes to turn around and walk the same amount of steps that you've been walking away from the Lord? Do you want to deal with the besetting sins, the things that keep you far from God, the things that produce the cycles of shame? Do you want to do business with God in a real, intentional way? Well, if, you, if, if your answer is yes, then the Master's here for you. Those of you who have physical ailments, Listen, I can't make, the healing isn't mine to dispense. The Lord just tells me to ask. To ask and have faith. To ask and believe that he can do it. And that he's sovereign over these matters. So I ask you this morning, are you sick? Or are you well? Either way, you've got business to do with God today. For the rest of your life. If you're sick, you've got business to do with God. He can heal you. If you're well, you have a responsibility to do what Jesus did, to seek those that are broken, to seek those that are sick, to hang around the pool, as it were, and get about the business of tossing people in. I hope you'll join me as we do that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you meet us where we are, that though we're sick, though we're broken, though we've turned our backs on you in many, many ways, though we have all sorts of issues, though some of us are a royal mess, you still seek us and you seek to heal us. God, you asked us this morning, do we want to be well? Do we want to live life differently? Do we want to depart from the ways that we've done, the condition that we're in, Lord? And we say yes to you. Whatever that looks like, whatever it takes, we say yes to you. We say yes to you. Lord, would you show us ourselves? Would you show us the ways that we've uh, done things differently than the way you prescribed? Would you show us the ways, Lord, that we've contributed to our brokenness? And God, more importantly, would you show us the path to healing? Would you show us the path to hope? God, we're thankful that you meet us where we are. And as we worship you this morning, Lord, we just ask that you would meet us here, that you would come in your power, that you would restore hope. Well, for those of us who've been sick for a long time, for those of us who've given up hope that things can be different, no matter what the illness is, Lord, I pray that you would come and restore hope. To fill us all with your spirit as we worship you. We lay our lives down. We say, have your way in our hearts. We ask all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.